Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Partly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up later on the program, conversations about giving back and acts of kindness during this COVID-19 pandemic. Instead of just kind of sitting around at, at home, I kind of wanted to just do something to kind of help somebody because I kind of felt like I wasn't really doing anything at just sitting around at home all the time. That's just ahead. But first, this. The COVID-19 numbers keep increasing here in Georgia. And yesterday marked another record for new COVID-19 cases the second day in a row. At this hour, there are 87,709 confirmed COVID-19 cases. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 2,849, and 11,500 are hospitalized. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Health. Now, in related news, area school districts are also paying close attention to the coronavirus surge. The Cobb County School Board of Education has voted to delay the start of the 2021 school year until August 17th. A statement from the school district cited this was a recommendation from Superintendent Chris Ragsdale. It went on to say by delaying the school start, Cobb students, parents, teachers, and principals can prepare for the 2021 school year and at the same time rely on guidance from public health officials. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Perhaps some of you are getting ready to celebrate the 4th of July. No doubt this year's holiday is different than most. Well, we're in a pandemic and many traditional events, they're not happening. The annual AJC Peachtree Road Race is pushed back. No weekend homestand for the Atlanta Braves in those large firework celebrations, eh, not happening. But what's been happening all along giving back and helping others during this time. And that's our focus this hour on Closer Look. First, a salute to some young people and their efforts. I spoke to Braxton Chadwick back in April. First, let's begin with how you and your family are doing. Everybody okay? Everybody's doing great. All right, cool. Now, I understand you're a sports fan. I am. What's your favorite sport? Definitely football. Who's your favorite team? Uh, Biasly, I'm going to say Savannah State now. That's pretty cool. No, that no bias there. No, Savannah State. That's awesome. That's, why Savannah State? I'm going there in the fall. Are you playing football? I am. Yes, ma'am. What position? I'm going to be a long snapper. Cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. And I, now you know what? Now I'm going to go find me a Savannah State football jersey or something. Exactly. <laughs> Congratulations, my man. Listen, um. Let's let our listeners know about Bloom to a Room, this campaign, and, and how it all got started. Yeah, so 
it started because my grandmother lives in, a, in an assisted living community and my grandfather runs a local greenhouse and those plants were going to waste. And he told me about how uh, there are just thousands of seasonal flowers going to waste. And so my grandmother got one a few weeks, few weeks ago and she loved it. So I was thinking, Hey, why don't we try to purchase as many of these on behalf of senior citizens and then pick a community to donate them all to. So that's how, that's how the idea was started and it's taken off from there. Now, unfortunately due to the COVID-19 pandemic, you haven't been able to visit your grandmother at her senior living facility, correct? Correct. Yes, ma'am. She is, she can come out of her room occasionally if she needs something or they allow walks around the sidewalk, but they they would like them to stay inside, especially their room. And Braxton, I imagine that's tough for you all and your family not to be able to see her. Yes, everyone's close by um, on that side of the family. Everyone's close by in the Atlanta area. So she, my grandmother does come to a lot of our games and school events. So it has been a little tough for uh, us to not be able to see her, but uh, we do FaceTime a lot. So, What's your grandmother's name? Uh, Sharon Chadwick. Well, we're going to ask all of our Closer Look listeners to email me just a nice message for Sharon, and then we're going to send it to you, and then you can send them to her. That's awesome. Thank you. Now let's talk about the response when your grandmother received the flower from the family. What did she say? She loves flowers, so she absolutely loved a little bit of the outdoors coming to her porch. Now, did you have any idea that when you said, you know what, let's, how about this, let's deliver some flowers to a lot of folks. You had a goal to deliver 2,500 flowers in the month of April. Yes, ma'am. How are you going to make that happen? Well, we've, we've already done 500, which is five total communities up to today. So we are, I think we're on a good track right now. So how does all this work? Someone listening may say, well, I'd like to maybe be able to send a flower to a loved one who's in an assisted living facility. How can I get involved with this? So uh, to make it as easy as possible, I decided just to make it to where you purchase on behalf of someone that you don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just go to my, I made a website, a very impromptu website uh, called bloomtoaroom.com. And you just go there and it has pictures of places we've delivered to and an explanation of the process of what's going on. And then you go and you, it says purchase a flower, but you're purchasing it on behalf of someone. And it explains that I deliver them. And then once we get enough to fulfill an entire community, that I have already reached out to, which has been anywhere from 75 to 124 flowers. Uh, I go and drop them off at an exterior door and they just come pick them up and take them to the residence. And you said this has taken off. What do you think about that? I did not expect for the uh, community to have such a big, uh, such a fast response to it but they everyone has a loved one or knows of uh someone who's in a senior living community and uh we don't really know 
how much they have been, you know, going through and how many weeks they've been kind of uh, trapped inside the those places. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just been tough for them. That's That's been stress to me whenever I go drop the flowers off. All the workers that come out are like, hey, you know, you don't understand how much just this really helps us uh, deliver them a little bit of good news in such a kind of gloomy time. And how is your grandfather doing? Um, my grandfather's greenhouse. Uh, my grandfather that runs a greenhouse. He's 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 doing good. He's doing good. Yes, he's and- doing all right. It, it, they they deemed you know agriculture a essential business, so they're they're still trying to deliver as many plants as they can. But most of those, you know, all of the a lot of the workers are combining routes and things things like that because they're just not as many events going on where you need flowers. And Braxa, do you have someone helping you with this? Cause pretty soon in, we don't know how long this is, we'll have to endure this, but you'll be getting ready to go to school cause you're going to be playing football. You have someone yep. that's ready to step in and take this over. If this is going to continue. Uh, I would say that I could always hand it off to one of my brothers. Yeah. I have, I have a brother that's going to be a freshman next year and, and he loves to take over projects that I give to him. Uh, Braxton, what has all of this taught you in terms of the spirit of giving and helping and the joy that you hear that this brings to people? Uh, it, it makes me feel um, like I can make a little bit of a positive out of a negative. And I really like how I can make... Um, somebody's day with just a simple just a simple delivery of a flower you know i i i really didn't think that it would be this this big of a deal and um i i always need to remind myself that you know it's i'm just doing it for somebody else you know just because i think that it's an in like small you know not a big deal that mm-hmm. i'm taking you know 100 flowers that you know the people that are receiving them they they're it's going to make their day because they've been constantly told hey no, you can't have visitors. No, you can't go outside. And I just need to, like, hey, I need to try to get as many flowers as possible to people. So, Well, Braxton, I'm not your grandmother or your parents, but I will say this. This is a neat idea, and I'm sure they're all proud of you. Yes, thank you. Braxton Chadwick is a senior at Kings Ridge Christian School and the founder of the Bloom to Room campaign. And Braxton, again, what's that website? It is bloomtoaroom.com, all lowercase, no spaces. I made it as easy as possible. Braxton, thanks for your work. Good luck with your campaign. Congratulations on going to Savannah State. I appreciate you taking the time. Go Tigers. (laughs) There you go. Say it again. Go Tigers. (laughs) Take care, Braxton. And now the story of Gray Cohen. At the time of our conversation, Gray was a sophomore at Druid Hills High School and still taking online classes. But that's not why we spoke with her. Gray is the founder of the Mill Bridge, and she joined Closer Look to talk all about it. How are you doing? How's your family doing in all of this? Yeah, it's fun staying home. Everyone's able to have family dinners, and we have game nights and movie nights as well. Now, let me ask you this. Now, when it comes to movie night... Are you all compromising? Because, you know, your parents, they're old, so they may want to watch something that you're like, you know, I don't want to watch that. I mean, do you all compromise when it comes to the movie night and picking the movie? Well, movie night is usually my dad's choice because he likes to 
show us some movie that he watched when he was a kid. So we recently watched Driving Miss Daisy and Shawshank Redemption, which I personally love. Okay, well, tell Dad, let's let's lighten it up a little bit. Those. (laughs) 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 How about Kung Fu Panda? Something like that. I don't know. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that you all are doing well. Great. Let me ask you this. What led you to start the Meal Bridge organization? It all started a few weeks ago when my uncle asked my mom how he could send a local restaurant meal to the hospital staff where she works at Emory for the workers treating the COVID patients. When she told me about that, I was immediately intrigued. You know, this was a very meaningful um, thing that he wanted to do. And I wanted to know how we could make it bigger and expand it so the whole community could also send meals to hospital workers. So, Gray, let me ask you this. Or have you been able to track how many meals have been ordered and how many folks have been served? Do you have those? Do you have that data? Yeah. So we know about 7,000 meals have been served. That's a rough estimate, but what I've been able to come up with, you know, I think it's been about four weeks of the program. So that's a really amazing number to see. And I want to thank everyone in the community who has contributed. Wow. Did you anticipate that it would, because as we say, as we old folks say, like me trying to be hip, this is blown up. Did you expect that? No. You know, the first day we posted it on my mom's Facebook, she's not extremely active. So I was a little scared at first. You know, we had a few family members uh, signing up the first day, but after we got that first interview, you know, it really started to grow and spread across the community. I ended up I think the second day getting an email from someone in North Carolina about it, which really blew me away. Wow. So which hospitals have you partnered with so far? We've partnered with about 15 or 16 hospitals. It's a very long list. I can read it out to you. No, that's okay. Wow. Yeah. So we also have a few um, spots in other cities. We are working in D.C., Seattle, and L.A. as well. Now, how do you all address concerns about safety, sanitation, making sure the meals reach employees in a a secure fashion? Yeah, so we have all meals. We make sure that the donors order meals from established restaurants in the community, you know, ones with current health permits and all. And then we ask the restaurants to deliver the food if they would like to use a third party, such as Uber Eats or DoorDash. That's completely fine, but all of these people are trained, and when they deliver it to the hospital, they give a call to the unit, and the unit phone number is provided from the donors who have signed up on sign-up genius. So then when they call the number, the hospital workers will be able to come down and retrieve the food outside of the hospital. So we don't have the delivery people going inside the hospital Mm -hmm. where they might have exposure. And so... I imagine the feedback has been great. Your mom is one of the millions of folks who are working, as we say, on the front lines in all of this. What does this mean to you personally to be able to help not only folks like your mom, but to provide a service throughout the nation now? It's really blown me away, the feedback that we've got from the community. It means so much, especially because my mom does work in healthcare, and we have lots of friends and family in the restaurant field. And being able to serve both of those field simultaneously is very um is very meaningful and I really love how the community has you know stepped up and helped me with this now this is the first time you've run an organization I take it you're only 16 so what has been the chief 
What has that been like being the CEO? And I also understand that your sister, Sydney, is a part of this, too. And do you get to tell her what to do? Um, I get to guide her. You know, she. That's a good way. I'm glad you put me in my place. I get to guide her, Rose. Continue. (laughs) She um, rules the social media platform for Mailbridge. So I let her do her thing. And she's, you know, she's really good at it. So I appreciate that. Gray, walk our listeners through this because perhaps they may want to be a part of this. So they go to the Meal Bridge website and then do what? Yeah. So on the Meal Bridge website, we have the, you know, a little blurb about us and then the list of hospitals we're working with. Each hospital has their own page where you can find some instructions and the list of local restaurants around that hospital. Then you can click to this little sign up button. It takes you to the sign up genius link. And there you can find the list of shifts and days and units and um, all the people that you can send food to. Each unit has a specific phone number that we have on the sign of Genius. And we ask that our donors take that phone number. And then when they call the local restaurant they want to donate to, they can give the restaurant that phone number and then the restaurant will be able to deliver it to the hospital. We allow our donors to contact any local hospital they want to support. But we, have, we do have a list of suggested ones just for people who don't know the area as well if they want to, you know, have some suggestions. Now let me ask you this because at some point, and we hope we get to some point where you all will be able to go back to school in the fall, do you want to continue with this organization? Because I believe there could be a need for it still. Yeah, definitely. Any way that we can, you know, turn this organization into something that can benefit people in the future no matter if it changes form or is still, you know, delivering food to the hospital staff, I would really like to be able to service these people because just even though the virus may end, that doesn't mean the work they're doing isn't significant anymore. Mm. Gray Cohen is a sophomore at Druid Hills High School. You're also on the lacrosse team. Are you still staying in shape? Yeah, you know, I go in the backyard and my sister, you know, will throw the ball with me. But I'm also doing, you know, some workout routines that I can find online and going for runs pretty regularly, which is nice to get outside and be able to do that. Uh, thanks for all you're doing, Gray. That's Gray Cohen. She's the founder of the Meal Bridge. And also we started the segment with Braxton Chadwick, who started Bloom to a Room, giving back to others during this time. Coming up next, an Atlanta man shares how an act of kindness from Tyler Perry was motivation enough for him to help others. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at Richmond.edu. That's R I C H M O N T.edu. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. During this pandemic, we've all heard the phrase, we are all in this together. And whether big or small, many businesses have come up with measures to try and not only prevent the spread of COVID-19, but also protect its employees and customer base. For example, Kroger, 
The grocery store chain implemented special early morning shopping hours for senior shoppers. And that's where Kirk Chase Leacock comes in because he took advantage of the special hours and then something special happened. But wait for it because this is a story. Kirk, who lives in southwest Atlanta, joins me now. Kirk, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm really happy to be here. So let's go back to your neighborhood Kroger grocery store. Now, I don't want to get all up in your grocery list, but was it a long list? And Kirk, did it include sweet potato chips? Because that's been my go-to as of late. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually a fairly short list. Um, I was just getting a few ingredients. And no, it did not have sweet potato chips on there. I'm telling you, those are good. You ought to try them, Kirk. Let me ask you this. Had you taken advantage of the special early shopping hours before? Actually, I had not. Uh, I was aware of them, but I, you know, being feel, feeling fairly new to the senior population, um, I don't always take advantage of everything that's available to me. But this particular morning, uh, yesterday, I just felt like I didn't want to deal with the crowds later on in the, the afternoon. I was up early that morning, so I said, okay, let me take advantage of my, my uh, age now and uh, use this perk. So how many shoppers would you say were inside this particular Kroger that morning? I believe when I first arrived, there were three people outside getting carts, and I may have crossed paths with about six people inside the store. It was not very crowded at all. However, when I was leaving, there were about eight people waiting to get in outside. Okay. And how important is it for you to be able to take advantage of these these special shopping hours? You mentioned because you're of that age and we're all trying to be careful during this pandemic. Um, that was important for you. Normally, I have no problem uh, going in the afternoon or running out to get a few things. I don't do it often. I try to get everything at one time. Mm-hmm. It just so happens the day before I had done a complete like rest of the month shopping already. I just forgot a few few items. Having seen what it was like um, in that early morning one hour, how much more civil it was, how much <laughs> uh, more stocked the shelves were, uh, I think I would absolutely take more advantage of that. All right. So you're in checkout. And if you don't mind sharing, what was the total of the bill? My bill was, I believe, $39 and change. Like I said, it was just a very small um, odds and ends that I had to pick up. Now, Kirk, there's a funny side story here because they weren't going to let you in at first. No, when I first arrived, although I am 63 years old, I present as quite a bit younger. So the there was there was a police officer at the front door. I thought that was unusual. In addition to security, they had an actual Atlanta City police officer. And he stopped me. He said, young man, you cannot come in yet. You have to wait an hour. This is the senior time. So I had to tell him that I was 63 and prove my ID in order to get in the store. <laughs> Once I got into the store, I had one of the employees in the store come up to me. By the way, when I answered, I was a little bit annoyed while I was secretly flattered that all of this had happened. <laughs> then I get in the store and one of the employees in the store said to me, um, you know, you're not supposed to be in here. I don't know how you got past security. I said, no, I am the right age. I am senior. Fine. By the way, this happened two more times while I was in the store. Well, so Kirk, you're looking good, brother. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you know, and that's what I 
said, I was torn between being annoyed and flattered at the same time. But I was like, (laughs) why is this such a big deal today? You know, so it wasn't until uh, I got to check out that I realized what the big deal was. All right. Now, if you're just joining us, I'm joined by Kurt Chase Leacock, and we're talking about a recent trip to the grocery store, Kroger. Kirk, I'm going to get back to the story. You pull out your wallet, you're about to pay, and then what happened? The cashier said uh, there is an Atlanta angel donor that has already paid for your bill. And so I looked around immediately trying to see, well, who is this this donor? Where are they? And I thought maybe it was the person in front of me paying it forward or something. And uh, the bagger said, oh, no, that person's not here. It was Tyler Perry. Your bill is paid for. What was your reaction? It took me a second for it to register. Um, In fact, once she said your bill was paid for, I was thinking, okay, am I the, you know, 1,000th customer today (laughs) or the balloon's going to come down? Did something happen here? Um, And then when the uh, other young lady said it was Tyler Perry, it made perfect sense right then because it all came together because I happened to have been a few years ago in Walmart Mm -hmm. when they found out their layaway had been paid for by Tyler Perry. So that immediately came back to mind. Did you look around to see the reactions of fellow shoppers? What was, take us to that moment. What was happening? Well, at that moment, actually, (laughs) to be honest, what I first thought of was I knew I should have got that brisket of beef that I put back. (laughs) And and the lobster, the crab legs. I wanted that beef brisket. I thought, no, this is too expensive. I'm not going to. But no, I actually just felt a a warm feeling of gratitude. Mm. And we should note, Kroger confirmed that Tyler Perry indeed purchased groceries for nearly 3,000 senior shoppers at 44 Atlanta Kroger's and also 29 Winn-Dixie stores in the New Orleans area. And Kirk, you shared this experience via social media. What's the response been like? I am not really big on social media. I don't, I, I pay attention to what's going on with my friends and family. I rarely post anything. Uh, because I don't think what I have is that important to say. However, once I got home and I realized the depth of emotion that I felt then over this experience, I felt I had to share it because I didn't know whether it was going to go public or not, that Tyler Perry had done this. I didn't know if it was going to be secret, but there's no way for me to thank Tyler Perry in person, but it was important that I let people know the good that he's doing and how far it was reaching. Mm-hmm. And Kirk, you're a flight attendant and like millions of others in the nation, your job has come to a halt. I want to ask, how are you doing during all of this? You know, it's not affecting me as bad as it is some of my fellow crew members who were struggling even when everything was good. You know, the pay is not that great. Most people that do it do not do it for the pay. You do it for the love of the job. Mm-hmm. So life is a struggle day to day, but now this is unbearable for some people. I've personally, I've found a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I try to do my part to help my fellow crew members. And Kirk, I understand you've been sewing and tell our listeners what you've been sewing and why. Well, once uh, this, this pandemic uh, really took a foothold, 
the airlines allowed us to wear protective gear. We were allowed to wear masks, which were forbidden. Even gloves were forbidden on the plane. However, by the time they allowed us to wear these masks, they were not available. And we, they just could not be found. So a lot of my crew members, we were all out there totally unprotected. So what I started doing, I, I have sewing skills. I've had a, a clothing company in the past. And I just dusted off the machine, went and dug up all the fabric I had, uh, went and bought as much elastic as I could find. And I started making masks for my fellow crew members. Mm. Then walking and, and just giving them away in the airport. Then walking through the airport, I would be stopped by uh, flight attendants from other airlines that would ask me about it. First, I was just giving them out in the airport. And then by word of mouth, it hit social media and I started getting requests from all over. And you are actually paying the postage as you mail these out, correct? Yes, I am. Fortunately, a few people have been um, PayPaling me or cash apping me. And by the way, this leads back to the whole Tyler experience. Mm-hmm. That morning, I I was feeling a little down about what I was doing and a little underappreciated because people were requesting things, but no one was offering to help me out with this, this effort. However, I felt I needed to do it anyway. So, and, and I was feeling discouraged that morning. And then to go and have someone do something for me anonymously, I thought, you know what? I lost track of why I was doing this in the first place. It had nothing to do with with recognition. It had everything to do with protecting and supporting my fellow crew members. And if a few of them don't appreciate it, that's that's all right. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's not a, a big deal because the ones that do appreciate it mean so much more. But skipping ahead a little bit, that afternoon, right after, this was just a blessed day. Mm-hmm. That afternoon, right after the Tyler Perry incident, one of my other friends had asked that was not a crew member had asked me for a, a mask for his job. And I gave him the mask. He, he picked it up from me and he said, you know what? Give me whatever you have to mail out today. And he took on the cost of the mailings for that day, which was $56. Hmm. So I gave him a mask that probably cost me a total of $3 to produce if that much. But yet he blessed me by paying for all of my mailings that day. So it was just a wonderful day for me from starting off with Tyler Perry and ending up with with that other angel. If Tyler Perry's listening, he better be. Uh, <laughs> what would you like to say to him, Kirk? I would like to say thank you so much for all that you do for the community, um, for the you you are one of those people who have has never forgotten where he came from. I once heard him do an interview where he was talking about the sign on um, Langford Parkway when they put up the sign for Tyler Perry Studios. And the next exit is my exit where mm-hmm. I live, which is Cleveland and Sylvan. And he talked about how that was where he came from. That was where he was when times were really bad. And then the sign right next to it is where he was able to go and what he achieved. That stuck with me. It stuck in my soul. It stuck in my spirit. And I think that if I ever get to the point where I start questioning where I am in life, I will remember those words from him 
of where he was and where he ended up. That it's just all about determination and putting the right energy out into the universe. Hmm. Kirk, Chase, Leacock, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Stay safe. Thank you for what you're doing in sewing those masks. Thank you for having me on. Now, next time, get that brisket. No, I'm just kidding. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. You may notice there's something different in a lot of the advertisements we've been hearing and seeing of late. Yes, there's still the nudge to sell a product or service, but there's also been this wave of marketing and advertising campaigns praising and honoring those working on what we call the front lines of this COVID-19 pandemic. And then there's also something new from Emory Healthcare. Take a listen. The biggest worry I have is it can be anyone. It can be any one of us. This disease does not discriminate. When we're seeing these patients, you know, one second they could be the most stable patient. We're thinking we're going to get them home in the next day. But the acute change of events is the most scary things that are happening with these patients. I've had patients who are 35-year-old former nurses, have COVID, very severe respiratory symptoms, all the way up to age 92. I had a 92-year-old last week or two weeks ago that actually got discharged from the hospital after beating COVID. But the reality is we're all still learning, navigating, and reacting to this disease process. That's the voice of Dr. Duval Desai, Director of Hospital Medicine at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital. You'll hear from him in just a moment. And I'm also joined by Amy Como, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Support at Emory Healthcare. And we're going to learn a lot more about this new series. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Dr. Desai, let me start with you. In all your years, I know you've been in medicine. Have you ever experienced anything like this with this COVID-19 pandemic? And what do you make of it? You know, Rose, this is the first time that I've experienced such a pandemic. In training, we really have never been trained on pandemics as well, and we never really faced this. This is the first time I've dealt with this, and hopefully it will be the last time. It may not. It has completely changed our day-to-day operations and our day-to-day vision of how we are reacting and treating patients, and it has been a huge learning curve and opportunity for all of us. Let me stay with you for a moment. Take our listeners through a typical day and how that has changed for you now, as opposed to before all of this happened. So sure, as a hospitalist, we're trained to treat acute conditions, patients who are admitted to the hospital with an acute condition, an acute change of their chronic condition, some type of new process, they're admitted to the hospital and cannot be managed at home. We are well-trained to treat these situations, and over time, we get very accustomed to treating these situations, treating these clinical conditions, collaborating with other physicians. With the COVID pandemic, this has completely changed our day-to-day operations. So being hospitalists, we like to keep the patients at the center of our focus, and that certainly has not changed. You know, from a day-to-day standpoint, when I walk into the hospital, historically, I really take value in the patient and family-centered care approach to care. We rely on our family members and our patients to be there together advocating for themselves. And first and foremost, we don't have that at the current time in the hospital since we're so strict with visitations to avoid any further exposures in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That in itself is is a separate issue that we're dealing with right now and navigating. 
And obviously day to day as we're working through COVID patients, we do have COVID patients who are isolated on certain units and we've established protocols for appropriate sanitation, appropriate protective gear for those units for our healthcare providers, all of which we did not have before. So we've really restructured how we operate day to day and see these patients to keep ourselves and the patients as safe, safely cared for as possible. Dr. Dusag, have you lost patients due to this? You know, I don't comment specifically on patients on my from my standpoint at this standpoint in terms of what I've cared for. What I can tell you is that I've seen such a wide variety of patients who have been affected by this in all age groups. And I've seen patients who have little to no comorbidities or chronic disease conditions be affected to those who have several chronic conditions also been affected. Some have done well and some have struggled. Has this taken a toll on you mentally? Thank you. Yeah. So the last two months have been very stressful. I am only a fraction of the healthcare piece puzzle, and there are many people who are day to day involved in taking care of these patients. One thing I am concerned about is the well being and mental health of our healthcare providers and all of our healthcare team. Currently, and over the last two months, as we've navigated this crisis, we've really been in an acute mode where our adrenaline is peaking. As that adrenaline starts to wane and we establish a new normal, I really feel that we need to recognize and be aware of wellness for our healthcare providers. For me, it's been stressful. I've lost sleep at night. As the leader of my group, I wanna protect my team. I'm constantly trying to communicate with them, react to changes and make sure we're all on the same page, keeping in mind that everything is constantly evolving. So I am very concerned about overall well-being and mental health of our healthcare team. Previous to COVID, there was a lot of talk about burnout among healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. And I personally feel that that is going to only get worse as we navigate this crisis, unless we recognize and be aware that this is happening in real time right now. Amy, let me bring you to the conversation. You just heard what Dr. Dusai described. You hearing this a lot from those on the front lines throughout the Emory healthcare system? Yeah, Rose, it's a, it's a great point and one that Dr. Desai mentions. I mean, he's he and his team are closest to it, but we we know, those of us that support on the back line, so to speak, um, the emotional toll that it's taking on all healthcare workers. Um, and so, in a way, we wanted to, this video series is a way for us to help show that to the general public, what we've been seeing and hearing about on a daily basis. So, so definitely something that you know, we're aware of and, and share the same concern as, as Dr. Desai. Is that where the idea came to launch this video series? It actually came out of, of two things, really. One was as we were talking around messaging that needed to be out there, as we knew the shelter-in-place order was coming to a close, and as many of us, ourselves included, are, are spending a, a lot more time um, in our homes, and, and it's natural for people to start to get a little stir crazy, we were worried that people would just suddenly stop following proper social distancing. Mm. And so we thought, how can we figure out a way to help get the message out there that this virus is real and it's having a real impact on people we, you know, people we know, people in the community, as well as our healthcare providers. And so that was really the genesis for, for the series. 
If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Amy Como, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Support at Emory Healthcare, featuring the experiences of frontline staff during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm also joined by Dr. Deval Desai, Director of Hospital Medicine at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital. And it's a new video series from Emory Healthcare. Dr. Desai, let me come back to you for a moment. Um, when you were approached sure. to share your story, what were your initial thoughts? You know, my initial thoughts were, and feeling empowered. The going through this crisis has been intense, but also empowering for our entire healthcare team. There's no other time than right now to showcase the strength of all of our healthcare workers. And I'm honestly felt very proud to represent the Emory healthcare team, specifically the team at Emory St. Joseph's who has put and continue to put so much effort and strength into this crisis. After you were able to share a story, was there a little bit of a cathartic feeling came over you that this was helpful? and? particularly in everything that we just talked about a few moments ago in terms of the the toll, the physical and mental toll. Certainly, certainly. You know, I think first and foremost, talking about what we're going through is key. We as healthcare providers and most people experiencing crisis, they don't get a chance to talk about that. For me, using this platform on a video series to talk about it and get this message out was very powerful. And then also, you know, related to your point you just mentioned, Rose, about talking about it for our physicians and the well-being of our groups, I have started weekly wellness sessions for our physicians to really talk about and experience that catharsis as we're going through this. Because at the end of the day, we are all human beings and going through this is really about the human experience. Amy, now we're all in a social distancing state of mind these days. So the the video does give a behind the scenes feel, but you all also had to adhere by those guidelines. Was it difficult to get some of this shot? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. In order to shoot these, we wanted to make sure that the the producer and the interviewer were also following proper social distancing. So as they went in and to the hospitals where they were shooting these, they made sure that they were, I think, at least 10 feet away um, from the interview subject, and in some cases, I think even more, making sure that they were properly masked. And, and because of that, the, the videos almost have um, an extra behind-the-scenes look to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you watch any of them, sometimes you'll see the microphone. You'll see, you know, whether it's Dr. Desai or one of our, our nurses, as they approach and sit, the, sit down in the chair, you're capturing that. So it's not the typical interview that you normally see where you see the interviewer up close talking with the interviewee. It's not like 60 Minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, I have Mike Wallace interrogating you. No, I'm just kidding. I love Mike Wallace. He was a wonderful journalist, one of my heroes. Amy, I'm curious, were there some folks who just couldn't get, make it through a shooting that was too emotional for them to, to continue? Yeah, so we've shot a lot of these videos, and what you end up seeing it produced is a is a one to two minute video. Mm-hmm. But for some, telling their stories around either patients that they that they did lose or families that they were connected with, there's a you know there are a few have a moment where you know they need to take a pause and um, really think about collect their thoughts. Um, and in some cases, we've actually captured that, and they, those providers have been generous enough for us to actually share that those moments in, in the videos because it really does bring a true face to this crisis and let people know that it is real and, it is, and we need to be uh, continue to be concerned about it. Here's a question for both of you, and, and Dr. Desai, I'll start with you. We can't make people have a certain emotion or feeling about something like this, but what do you hope people do take away from this video series? 
You know, it's a great question, Rose. I do hope people take away that the importance of social distancing and continuing to flatten the curve that we talk about is very important. We want to protect our healthcare personnel. We really want to keep the hospital as open without constraints as possible and keep everybody as well as possible. And with this series, I'm hoping people recognize that health really starts at home and health being the well-being and being free from illness. It should not happen in the hospital. It needs to happen at home. So if we can all continue to evolve ourselves into this new normal that we're facing and adhere to guidelines and recommendations, I think we'd ultimately benefit everyone. And I hope that message can get out clearly with our video series. Hmm. Amy, what about you? I, I couldn't agree more. You know, Every day, um, our teams approach their work with the hope to improve lives and provide hope. And this is one way for us to be able to do that. And we want people to, to know that these are the things we, we need them to, and we all need to continue to do to make sure that we continue to flatten the curve. You know, as Dr. Desai said, it's the proper hand washing, making sure to mask when in public. There's a phrase we like to use. It's called, my mask protects you, your mask protects me. Mm-hmm. And we really do want to see that when you're in the grocery stores, that, that those are important things that we all can do to contribute to flattening the curve. And Amy, for our listeners, where can they view the videos? So the videos are available on Emory Healthcare's social media outlets. So our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram, and we're also pushing them out via Twitter. They're also available on Emory Healthcare's YouTube channel. Um, And additionally, I have to share this fact. We've actually had some requests from news outlets across the country to share these. So they are being shared with over 60 different news outlets across the country from Seattle to Dallas to D.C. to even here in Atlanta. And so each one of those outlets, these videos are getting an exposure of a reach of almost 50 million per market that they're in. So if you're not if you're not on social media, you're likely also being exposed to them through your local news channels. And Amy, how long will y'all keep producing these videos? So we've published five or six to date. The team actually shot about 30. So we're going to continue to push out videos over the course of the next several weeks, every few days, so that people can hear more stories from our front line. And finally, Dr. Desai, as we wrap up, it may only be a two or three minute video, but what do you want folks to know what this has meant for you personally? Personally, it has meant something very real to me, something I've had to learn and adapt myself to, something that has gotten me out of my comfort zone. And I hope the video represents that and reflects the reality that all of us healthcare professionals are facing. As I've said to my team when we acknowledge our stress, you don't know how stressful and intense the situation is until you walk into a room and treating a patient with COVID with the compassion and clinical care and expertise that you're providing. Mm. Dr. Duvall Desai, Director of Hospital Medicine at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital. I was also joined by Amy Como, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Support at Emory Healthcare. Dr. Desai, first of all, thank you for what you and your team have been continuing to do with so many others across the nation. Thank you for doing that. And Amy, thank you all for providing these videos for, for folks. I'm sure they really enjoy it. And thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose. It's our pleasure. 
That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.